Hello, and welcome to Love the Game, Live the Dream. Join me, your host, Nick Holmes, and my array of guests as we prove to you that you don't have to be a Hall of Fame player, a first-round draft pick, or even a high school standout, for that matter, to have a successful career in the sport of baseball. This podcast is brought to you by World Baseball Experience. Love the Game, Live the Dream is an entertaining yet insightful look at some of the baseball world's brightest and most talented minds. You're going to hear the life stories, struggles, and triumphs of everyday coaches, scouts, executives, and even entrepreneurs that are making their mark in baseball and in life by pursuing their passion and love of the greatest game on earth. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy Love the Game, Live the Dream. Okay, so I'll just go ahead and tell you, I won't get into the complete details of the first time that we spoke together, but I will tell you this. Within the first five minutes of meeting this man, and I'm, I'm telling him my situation, I was met with kindness and compassion and empathy to an incredible degree. It was 2010. I was in Boca Chica, the Dominican Republic, for MLB Scout School. It's important for me to tell you that you, you can't just sign up for this incredible learning experience uh, like an online you know, college course or something. The MLB Scout School puts on this course once a year, and at the time it only allowed the 30 major league organizations to sponsor two candidates. So they were you know, maxed out at 60 individuals for every course. And one year it would be in Arizona, then the next year it would be in the Dominican Republic, and then they would alternate every year after. I was fortunate enough to get the Oakland A's approval on my third attempt in as many years and was accepted to go to the school in the Dominican Republic. And this was 2010. The amount of joy that I had when learning of my acceptance was incredible. I can't even describe it. The issue I had was that I had to pay for it myself. I was happy to do so, you know, in theory. I would have given my left arm to go there, but however, I, w- I wasn't happy about the amount that I needed to come up with on a short notice. Being uh, recently married, a kid on the way, uh, you know, 1500 bucks or almost two grand is what it was. It, it was just something I had laying around. This is where Frank Marcos comes in. And my first day there uh, in the Dominican, I'm stressed out. I, I, I just, I feel like I'm not going to be able to get through this because all I'm going to think about is I got to pay this money, you know, any minute someone's going to come up and ask me for a check. So I talked to Frank, I pulled him aside uh, on our first lunch break, and I just explained my situation to him. And I'll never forget his understanding. And and as I mentioned, his compassion for my situation just floored me. You know, he told me, don't worry about it, Nick. Are you kidding me? He's like, I can tell you're stressed out about this. And, you know, just just don't let it interfere with your learning over the next two weeks. Focus on the training and what we're going to teach you. And, you know, I tell you what, you know, we'll work something out later. You know, he's like, we'll, we'll put you on a payment plan or something. Don't stress out about it. And I was, again, just floored. I didn't know what to think other than just complete gratitude and appreciation for this guy who had no no reason to do this at all. I mean, he didn't know me. I didn't know him. We didn't have even really, at the time, we didn't even know if we knew some of the same people. But it was all I needed to focus on the course and, and getting to the job at hand as quickly as possible, learning the information, absorbing it, had a fantastic time, you know, got through the course and, and got my first job as a scout shortly after, a few months afterwards. So, you know, sometimes it just goes to show, or it just goes to show you that sometimes all people need is a little you know belief from another person maybe a little boost a little pat on the back a little hey don't worry about it i got you and allows you to uh stay on your path at achieving whatever goal it is that you're setting out for and just just makes life a lot easier and that's what frank marcos did for me and so i think um you guys are really going to enjoy this episode he's an incredible man he's been in baseball for you know close to 30 years now i believe maybe even over 30 years and just awesome journey incredible guy we've kept in touch over the last 10 years almost 10 years now we speak on the phone pretty regularly and like i said we are going to be working together on a project i can't say what it is yet but just know that for you aspiring scouts out there it's going to be an incredible new development and training program to help get you guys out into the world and understanding what it's like to be a scout in major league baseball so without further ado i hope you guys enjoy this conversation with frank marcos you were with the Dodgers first, and then back when they were the California Angels was uh, one of your first jobs in baseball, correct? That's right. Right out of right out of college, uh, Nick, uh-huh. I started with the Dodgers. I was actually doing some bird dog scouting, and you know what that's all about. You just kind of go out and, and uh-huh. you work for nothing, and you try to find a player, and you tell the full-time scout, go here. And I did that for a couple years uh, with the Kansas City Royals while, while I was finishing school. And uh, once I graduated, uh, Mr. Campanis, the GM, 
was, uh, was very close friends with an instructor I had at Cal Poly, Coach John Scalinas. Mm-hmm. And um, I applied for a position with the Dodger, uh, with Major League Baseball. I didn't get it, but I had interviewed at Dodger Stadium. Anyway, long story is I got a chance to go to work with the Dodgers and during the 84 season, and, and that was my team growing up. I mean, we, my dad never took us to the Angels. They were the American League. Nobody. Yeah. No, you, no diehard fans went to the American League games, Nick. That didn't happen. <laughs> That's right. You got to stay true to the senior circuit, right? Yeah. So then, so then what do I do? I work with the Dodgers, which is great. But then the, the end of that, that tenure, I ended up going to the Angels and worked for them for four seasons uh, in the minor leagues and assisting with major league, uh, like arbitration cases and, and, uh, player personnel things with Mike Port, who was the GM. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and from there I ended up with the Bureau in 1988 until I finished, uh, officially the retirement date was, uh, February of 2015. So, um, it was a good run, uh, 31 Uh plus years, loved it and thought I was finished with baseball and working and, um, and then this new group came knocking on my door recently. Yeah, I want to talk about them in a second. But before I jump into that, if you're okay, I'd like to back up to, uh, you know, you grew up in California, correct? You, you, as a kid? Uh, yes, I did. Yes, and I did. What uh, What did your dad do? Well, my, my dad was, um, he passed away when I was only 16. But okay. he, Sorry. he was the influence on myself and my brother uh, regarding baseball. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as young kids, we were dragging the bat around the yard, you know, as two-year-olds and swinging a bat and playing against the old pitch back that the ball would bounce back. And, and, and he, he, uh, he exposed us to baseball. And Is it just you and your the, brother? Or, sorry. Just, just the two of us. Okay. And, yep. and he just retired after a 36-year career of teaching, and he was a head baseball coach and an athletic director at a big high school in Southern Cal. And um, so, you know, we've both grown up with baseball, and, yeah. and we owe it all to, 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 the, to the father mm-hmm. because he, he showed us what baseball is about. And yeah. he would take us to Dodger Stadium. Nick, we had a, where we lived, it wasn't real close to Dodger Stadium, but, I mean, it seemed like once a week we were going to a ball game. It didn't matter that it was a long drive. And back then, games started at 8.05 p.m., uh-huh. Um, you know, late games and all, but we used to go all the time as kids. And tough on a school. It was in our blood, you know. Yeah. So I got to ask you this question because it's always, you know, the joke of uh, Dodger fans. So back then, when you were going, you may not remember as a kid, but did they still show up in the third and leave in the seventh? (laughs) (laughs) Or did they actually sit through the games back then because the traffic was bad? That's the thing. When I was a kid. And my brother, when we went to games, people stayed for the whole game. Yeah. They didn't leave. And they didn't Imagine get that, there right? the third <laughs> inning. I know. Yeah. You know. And then, you know, as time went on and then, you know, years passed. And I would even say when I worked with them in 84 with the Dodgers and even the Angels, you know, a few years after that, it wasn't always that way where people would show up late and then you know, leave early to beat you. I mean, people were were into it because they were the fan of baseball. They wanted to yeah. see baseball. As you know, today, you go to a big league game, there's so many distractions, you know, on the board mm-hmm. with, you know, races and, you know, the, the things that happen to try to, you know, entertain people. Back yeah. then, the Just game, the game. Was the entertainment. Right. And people went there because they wanted to see the game. So, no, yeah. as a kid, that was, you know, cardinal rule number one. We don't get there late and we don't leave early. That's right. That's right. Oh, yeah. yeah, and uh, you know, and it's every once in a while you'll catch a uh, an older guy at the ballpark or you know older woman there with the with the old transistor radio listening to it, which I thought was the coolest thing as a kid growing up because there were so many of those those types of fans that would sit there and eat their peanuts and drink their beer and watch the game, but listen to Vin Scully calling it on the radio you know, next to them. Which isn't, wasn't that so cool? And and you just that, you don't you don't see that anymore. Oh, Nick, Ben Scully, the best. And, <laughs> yeah. and you know, to, when I was a kid, you know, I would listen to the game. I'd listen to him calling the game, you know, home game, road game. It didn't matter. If the game was on TV, I wouldn't watch, but I would just listen to Ben because he, he painted the picture. You sure. know, scouting, you know all about scouting and the importance of, of painting the picture of a player. Well, Scully, I mean, he didn't, he didn't talk too much. 
Yeah. He didn't give you all the extra garbage that happens today. Forgive me, but it's true. Sure. He called the game. And, oh, that, and you, know, you talk about the transistor radio. We all had them. Yeah, yeah. You're right. Everybody we sat around had that. And that's what we were listening to as, the, as we're watching the game at the stadium because yeah. he was so good. But, yeah, times have changed. People need uh, different forms of entertainment and, you know, yeah, and I, I mean, I guess I kind of get it because of the, the the way the times have changed, and you're trying to, you know, keep kids' attention, and you know, people that aren't big baseball fans that happen to come there, and they pay a lot of money, and and yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. you're you're just you're trying to keep them in the ballpark, but uh, yeah, you know, that yeah. reminded me, I, one of my favorite apartments uh, that I had in L.A. was uh, there in Echo Park, up on the hill mm-hmm. of Montana Street okay. in Legion Park Boulevard, and. Um, one of the reasons I got it was because I could go out my back door down the hill, up the hill through Elysian park and be in the, the Dodger stadium parking lot in about seven minutes. If I ran quickly. And that's um, awesome. And I didn't, man, know, I, I didn't know you lived there. I, didn't I did. That. I lived right there for, I think I want to say two and a half years. I went in on some season tickets with a friend of mine and it was the year 2004, I believe it is when uh, Steve Finley had the walk off to send him to the playoffs. And, okay. um, and we we went in on a on a buy two get two seats free. So we split the two seats oh. and we got two seats free. And nice. I went to every single homestand at least one game. Uh, oh. That was my goal to to go to every homestand. And a right. lot of those I went to the whole series. I think I caught like uh, fifty eight out of the eighty two or whatever it was home games. And uh, wow. at one point I saw the Giants, the Angels, and the Yankees right when they were doing the interleague play and i call okay. the giants the angels and the yankees all every game like 11 games in a row it was that's awesome great that yeah great. Oh. so yeah i, mean, I know what you mean a, getting oh, there early and then i'd sit there and there's nobody there until the third inning and then they'd start piling in then they'd leave and i didn't have to be anywhere know, i could walk home <laughs> the, the way the game was too back then you know you talk about arriving early you know we used to arrive early because we wanted to speak dp and pregame I mean, in in yeah. my days as a kid, Nick, big league teams part. right before the game would take infield. You'd see, I mean, I used to love seeing, you know, the Dodgers, you know, on the infield, you know, turning double plays and doing things. Or, um, you know, maybe uh, Joe Ferguson in the outfield throwing the ball to home or Jimmy Wynn or Dusty Baker. We used to get to see that, you know, actually happen, even though maybe during the game they'd never get a throw. But the pregame was so important. And yeah. today, but you know, they do early work, they take browners, they throw early, and now maybe you're lucky to catch the tail end of a little BP if you get there early. Yeah. But it, it's, to me, that's where Major League Baseball is making a mistake. They've mm-hmm. taken something away that I think people would like to see. It's not there anymore. Right. You know, but anyway. And- and then you got the 45 minutes uh, while the field crew gets ready after they've gone into the clubhouse, both teams, right? So now you got to sit yep. there for an hour. If you get there early instead of the game starting yeah. right after BP, now you've got to yep. sit there another hour and watch the, the grounds crew uh, before the game actually starts. So <laughs> Dragging yeah, the field, wetting that's it right. down, shocking yeah. it. Like, really? That's so, what I'm here for? Yeah. So, you, so you grow up in L.A. and uh, you and your brother. What, what high school did you go to there? I graduated from Chino High School, and okay. actually, so did my brother. He was um, uh, he was four years ahead of me in school, mm-hmm. um, so he graduated uh, earlier. So I never got to attend school with him. Um, but uh, we grew up in Chino. Uh, I lived in Chino, working for the Dodgers, the Angels, and for Major League Baseball mm-hmm. until I officially retired. I was mm-hmm. able to. I was very, very blessed to be able to do that. And we loved the town. We loved the area. It was it was a great place to raise kids and everything. So mm-hmm. uh, Chino High School. But then my brother worked for Don Lugo High School, which was also in Chino, one of the newer schools. And um, he was one of the first teachers there when it opened. And as I said, he just retired about a year ago and, and mm-hmm. uh, 35 years later. And you... You went to school there in uh, at Cal Poly, or did you go to? I did. You went to Laverne first. No, I did. Yep, yep. Started at Laverne. Back okay. then, it was called Laverne College, mm-hmm. and then they changed it to the University of Laverne, but a small private school. Um, that's where, when I was there, actually, Ben Hines was uh, the head coach, and Ben ended up getting into the big leagues, doing a lot of coaching, even with the Dodgers. Uh, his son Bruce Hines. Yeah, was there as as a student while I was there. Um, I was and, just going to uh, say, Bruce. 
Yeah, Bruce. So, and Bruce is still working for MLB, I think. Right yeah. Now. Yeah, I met him uh, in the Dominican a couple years ago. Did you? Yep, yep. Yeah. Good people. And so, you know, I was there for two years and, and just I felt the school wasn't right for me. So I wanted to change and I transferred over to Cal Poly, mm-hmm. Pomona, and that's where head coach John Scalinas was. And what a great man. You know, I tried out for the baseball team, Nick, but I didn't make it. Uh, mm-hmm. But he was very, uh, he treated everybody with great respect. He never cut anybody. You cut yourself. You know, he says, just be honest, you know, see what's out there. And if this isn't for you, you know, hit the books and do something else. And right. he was very instrumental to me in seeing that and then also getting in with the Dodgers and, and mm-hmm. uh, just a great influence. So you're in college. Uh, you're done playing ball, it sounds like. And he says, hit the books. What, what books are you hitting? What, what did you study there? I did uh, marketing, business, uh, business degree with a marketing emphasis. Okay. And um, uh, really, honestly, had no idea what I was going to do at, at, at graduation. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but I wanted to be in pro ball very, very much. I, I mean, it was something that um, it, just, it just had a lot of intrigue. And uh, I read a story in Sports Illustrated about mm-hmm. the executive development program that Major League Baseball ran. And uh, one of the... One of the um, in the former GM of the uh, Cleveland Indians, Colorado Rockies. Now he's the MLB network analyst. And so I wrote to him. And, back, you know, we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have text. We didn't have email. So I actually wrote him a letter, mm-hmm. um, found out where he was. He was working with Baltimore at the time. And just, and just told him, you know, I want to do what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And he took the time, responded to me. It was a three-page response typed out. And, you know, he, he gave me all the ins and outs of, of the career in baseball, the, the, the executive development program, what to expect, and all those things. And so I took his advice, and that's how, in essence, I got into the game, because I did try to secure one of those executive development program uh, internships with MLB. But I, I didn't get it, but I got the interview at Dodger Stadium, and that's yeah. how it all and, and who was that again? You cut out right when you said his name. Oh, Dan O'Dowd. Dan O'Dowd, okay. Yeah, he, he, so, he was the, worked his way up through the Indians, or, well, Baltimore first, and went to the Indians, became the general manager in Cleveland, mm-hmm. and then uh, he was uh, general manager of the Colorado Rockies for a number of years. Oh, wow. That's great. So al- him, along with uh, Coach Scalinas, you said, w- would you say those were the probably the two biggest uh, – influences as far as getting your career off the ground and pointing you in the right direction? Absolutely. In terms of getting yeah. it going, there's no doubt. It, it wouldn't have happened without, you know, without those them. two people. Um, and then, and then of course there were, you know, a few others along the way since then, but mm-hmm. uh, coach was, was the man. And of course, uh, Mr. O'Dowd taking the time to, you know, write back to me. And then of course we had a good relationship over the years because you know, of that initial uh, contact that we had. And he was always someone that was, uh, he was like a mentor. And I really, really appreciated all he did. Yeah. And, uh, and then, so the Dodgers job, um, did it start off as an internship or did you, did you land a, a paid position right away? Well, you know, it was, it was, it was five bucks an hour. Yeah. <laughs> five you bucks call it a job, right? <laughs> now, and it was only seven hours because they gave you one hour for lunch. Uh-huh. And I had to drive like 40 miles each way with traffic. I mean, it oh, was, but I would have gladly paid them to do it. Okay. Sure. Um, it was, it was, you know, back then it wasn't called an internship because they didn't yeah. know about internships. All yeah. right. So it was a job. And Mr. Campanis hired me to help him plan their organizational meetings. I was the gopher. I did whatever he wanted. I did uh-huh. whatever the farm director, Mr. Schwebe, wanted me to do. Uh, uh-huh. I did whatever the scouting director, Mr. Ben Wade, wanted me to do. Um, mm-hmm. So it was a lot of just hands-on learning what baseball was all about. And those three individuals gave me a chance to learn a lot about the game, about contracts, about you know uh, just, just communication with people, coaches, scouts. And uh, and it was really a, a, a tremendous opportunity for me, you know, young kid fresh out of school. Yeah. And even in that job and that, you know, those times thinking back at that now, you know, reflecting on that, 
do you recall having any kind of, um, you know, I guess what I'm trying to say is, did you have a, an idea of where you wanted to be? I know you wanted to be in baseball, but did you look at those guys and say, Hmm, I really like that scouting department. That looks like a place I could go. Or were you more, was there anything that kind of pulled you yep. towards as you were working your way up the ladder? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and in it, of the three departments that I had a lot of exposure with, um, both in the, with the Dodgers and the angels, I really wanted to do more in the minor leagues, the player development. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. Scouting wasn't the, the 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 direction I thought I wanted to go, and I enjoyed working with Mr. Campanis with the big league level, with the players and the trainers and coaches and things like that. He just he gave me an opportunity to do a lot. I met guys like Ralph Avila and Mel Didier, um, even back then Terry Reynolds, who's mm-hmm. you know, still with the Reds, doing so. So I, I met a lot of people. Gary LaRock, who's a well-respected. Uh, coach, he was a, he was a, uh, I mean, scout. He was a coach back then. So I, it was a great opportunity for me to meet people. But I always thought I would get, hopefully, get to a club and it would, it would go in the minor leagues, not scouting. Mm-hmm. And and when I went to the Angels, I actually did a lot of things with the minor league department. And so that was really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But it 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 all changed in in the fall of 1988 when Mike Port the general manager, he was on the board of directors with the scouting bureau, and there was an opening for the assistant scouting director. And uh, Don Fries, the director, reached out to Mike, and Mike recommended me to be interviewed. And, and I interviewed with Don. And, and it, um, you know, I'm oh, sorry, I was just going to say, and at that point, you know, we were just breaking up a little bit. Sorry there, I thought you'd stop. At that point, you hadn't really done any scouting, right? I mean, you're, you're, no. you're coming up through the Dodgers, the assisting, and then you're, little, you're on the farm side of the thing or the development part of the, uh, the business. And then, boom, assistant scouting director for the Bureau without even being a, a foot soldier, so to speak, right? right? Well, the only experience I had was working as that associate scout. I worked for two guys, Chuck McMichael. He became the scouting director with uh, the Rangers years later. Guy okay. Hansen was a very well-respected coach, uh, also a cross-checker with the, with the Royals. Those were my mentors in the scouting end of it, and I enjoyed it, but I, it didn't – at that point when I was doing it, Nick, it didn't really seem like that's what I wanted to do. So I, when I went to the Bureau, I went there with the thought, okay, I'm going to get some more exposure into another part of the game, but within a year or two, I'll try to get back to a club. Right. And uh, that was the mentality I had at that point, the mindset. But after sitting in that chair for a year or two and getting to know the guys and getting to know the process and really getting to know Don Prees, um, he changed my thought process. And I always said, if I finish my with the sky, I consider myself a very, very lucky individual. Absolutely. yeah. Yeah. So that 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 that's how it all came about. Twenty five plus years and pretty much I mean the heart of it, right? I mean the bureau's been around yeah. since mid sixties, is that when it was founded? Or actually late, the, late? the uh yeah, the late the the began in nineteen seventy four. It was Bud Seelig as one of the owners that Seven. was instrumental in creating the Scouting Bureau. And back then it was about fifteen clubs that participated in this centralized scouting that was not part of major league baseball but it was a it was in essence a you know a third party group governed by board of directors which included men like bud Selig and some other owners mm-hmm. um, and it wasn't until 1985 when peter uberoth became commissioner when the bureau fell under the umbrella of the commissioner's office uh, because Peter saw the value of what we were doing, and he said it needs to be part of Major League Baseball so that all the clubs at that point would benefit from what we were doing. So if I'm correct in saying the the first 15 teams that were involved with using the Bureau's uh, resources and, and, and their information, that was simply their choice, right? So yes, they, didn't, they didn't have to. And then Absolutely. in 85, it became more or less mandatory, right, for lack of a better word? It became mandatory, and those clubs that were not part of that process were not real happy. I'll be perfectly uh, honest with you. Yeah. They felt like they could do it on their own. Um, they they didn't 
They felt like that it wasn't something that they needed. So uh-huh. in the early years of that, you know, forced participation, if you will, mm-hmm. there were some struggles. And as I said, I started in 88. So I still remember those early days where we had a lot of naysayers still that weren't buying into what we were doing. Yeah. And that attracted me in the sense of um, it's a challenge. How do mm-hmm. we convince them that, you know, what we're doing is really valuable to them? And so uh, it, it was a challenge. And I really believe that uh, by the time I left in uh, 2014, 2015, that, that the mm-hmm. clubs embraced what the Scouting Bureau did. And I know this by virtue of my, my communication with them, by virtue of what information they used from us. Um, and, and at the end of the day, we changed our focus to something that really benefited them. You know, in the early years, Nick, we were a true scouting service that had cross-checkers, national guys, so that when we provided information to the clubs, it, we broke it down to, you know, a prep list that was really a true prep list. Right. We so changed the, that. For, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say our focus changed to becoming more of an extension of their area scouts um, and not just on the current year, draft year, but we I changed the philosophy probably it was around 2009, 2010, where I said we're going to go more towards the younger players, the, mm-hmm. the next year eligibles, and the clubs loved it because their guys in the youth turned down on draft eligible players. Right. Well, we changed it to where our guys were bearing down on the next year's eligible players. So we're getting right. – you know, really detailed info to them, you know, at, at a very timely manner when their guys can't do it. And so that was a real plus to what we were doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, two questions on that. Number one, was there off the top of your head, can you remember which organizations uh, were the most excited to use you guys? Or I, I mean, maybe used you more than the others, or was it just pretty even across the you board? Know, and that, that's a good question, and, and it varied sometimes uh, year to year based on who the scouting director was. Okay. Um, for example, the Oakland A's scouting director was a gentleman by the name of Dick Bogard. Uh-huh. Well, Dick was one of our cross-checkers for many years. Um, okay. His general manager was Sandy Alderson, and Sandy was a huge supporter of the scouting bureau. So there was an organization that understood what we could do for them by mm-hmm. providing information that – in essence, area scouts would do, but where they didn't have to go out and spend the money to hire a full staff. Um, the Kansas City Royals back, you know, when Art Stewart was, was running things and Terry Wetzel was there, and, and, and we, had, uh, we had great support from that organization. Um, sometimes there were years where, you know, with the Yankees, we didn't hear a lot from them, but sure. behind the scenes, we knew what they were using in terms of uh, data, you know, in terms of reports. Um, uh, video, of course, was huge for everybody. And, right. and the Scouting Bureau, we developed the concept of video on amateur players. Nobody else was doing it when we started it. Uh, we developed the system, Nick, that allowed the, uh, the video to capture a radar reading and a stopwatch reading on the screen, which mm-hmm. was unheard of. That's right. And, wow. Uh, yeah, the, cl- and the clubs loved that stuff. And then when the scout schools came around, and you yeah. know that because you're yeah. a graduate, uh, yes. Sandy Alderson always said there were two things that the Bureau did really, really well that was instrumental in terms of how well we were accepted. And he said one was the video and two was the scout school. Yeah. And he was absolutely right about those. So you could tell which clubs were really using your, informations and, uh, your information and which ones weren't, correct? Absolutely. Well, we, we talked to them on, we talk to them? on a daily basis. So we yeah. talked to scouting directors, assistant scouting directors the administrators, and, and we always had tremendous uh, relationships with the administrators. And here's an example of one. You know this guy, Alex Anthopoulos, general manager now yep. of the Atlanta Braves. Mm-hmm. When Alex started, Nick, he was, in essence, an intern working for the Montreal Expos, living in their spring training facilities on a cot <laughs> and trying to learn everything he could about scouting and what we did Literally, we talked to him every day because he he wanted to know what, how, everything we did and how it could help his organization be better. Wow. And so, you know, we, we the conversations we had 
it it varied in terms of the people, uh, but it all centered around, you know, how can we help them be better? Right. Wow. That's great. And when did, um, this is the second question I have for that. When when did the international uh, portion of the Bureau uh, take place? When did you guys decide that we can help the clubs here as well? Or did they come to you and say, we need some help? Well, great question. Uh, again, it was Sandy Alderson who was instrumental in, in bringing the Bureau into uh, Latin America. Sandy was uh, hired by Bud Seeley to go down to, to the Dominican specifically and clean up the mess. Because as you know, Latin America uh, yeah. it was pretty much the new wild, wild west in terms mm-hmm. of you know, scouting players, signing players, uh, you know, forge versatility, all that stuff. Well, Sandy went down there to clean it up. And he said, I need a resource to help identify players because the clubs were the ones that were, quote, identifying players and signing them. And that's where a lot of the corruption was, their right. personal relationships with Buscones. Well, Sandy said, I need somebody, and he knew the Bureau. So he called me. He said he invited me down to his home in, in Rancho Santa Fe. It was uh, early 2010. We actually played a round of golf when we talked about all this. Mm-hmm. Um, he can hit the golf ball, son of a gun. He is good. Um, but that doesn't surprise me because I don't think there's anything that Sandy will do that he doesn't do well. Um, but we had a great conversation, and he asked my opinion on how we could do things, how we could help. He told me how we would do things and how we could help, um, which was fine by me. Um, but it, it was the start of the Bureau going down there. And he really he left it up to me to identify how we would do it in terms of scouts, in terms of trial camps, in terms of showcases. We brought organized games down there. You know, Nick, before us, the Biscones would have a player, a scout would go into that, that camp, see the kid in a, in a very controlled workout, mm-hmm. and then they would make decisions on giving them literally millions of dollars. And we wow. all knew that was insane. So we started running tryout camps and, and then with those camps, games, uh, actual showcase games. And yeah. at first, some of the Buscones, the, the real high-power Buscones were like, no, I don't think we're going to go there. Well, that was okay mm-hmm. because we started hitting enough of a target when we said, listen, why put all your eggs in, in one basket for one club? You, know, you might have a good relationship, but what about – if we help show your player and 30 clubs are going to get the video, they're going to get the scouting reports, they'll get a chance to see the player. Well, you know what, before we knew it, within the first six months, we're running events. I'll never forget one there that we ran in Venezuela, um, just outside of Caracas. I'm trying to remember the city offhand right now, and cut near Valencia. Mm-hmm. Um, we must have had, I'm not kidding, 150 to 175 scouts guys that came from the States, international guys, bird dogs, they were everywhere. And, and it was like, they just, they said, Hey, we want our players there because we want all 30 clubs to see them. And that wow. was the beginning. And it took a few years, Nick, for the club, the scouting, the, uh, the clubs and the Buscones to accept what we were doing. Um, because some guys felt we were taking money out of their pocket, but we weren't, we were trying to help them. Yeah, I was just going to ask you that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it, we we several of our scouts went down there, and uh, we were down there all the time. But they would go down there to run some events, and and it got to a point where we had to have security around our guys because there were threats against them in what we were trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so we always had some level of security with us when we traveled on the island of whether it was the DR, Venezuela. We even went into Nicaragua a few times, Panama. Yeah. Um, so. so the Buscones felt a little threatened in the sense that they thought maybe they wouldn't be able to, uh, you know, get what they thought their guys were worth or they didn't want to overexpose yeah. them or what? Yeah. Two things. One, you're right. One, they, they, yeah. they felt a little bit of a threat that what we were doing might hurt them in terms of what they could, you know, get in their agreements with the clubs. But also they, they control those players. They control when those guys work out. Right. And they're going to go participate in the IPL or the DPL or whatever it is. Uh, that's that's their their guy, and so the mm-hmm. Stones were controlling everything. So then we started saying it got to a point where 
we were running events, and it was with Sandy's uh, direction. If players were not participating in those events, they would not get clearance to sign. Mm-hmm. So it got to a point where the Wisconsin said, well, shoot, I got I to gotta get them registered, so I better show up. And, yeah. you know, sometimes the players wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't, they wouldn't put it all out there. They'd be going about 75, 80% because they already had their agreement with someone, but, sure. you know, they had to show up. Yeah. Right. And would, would you say that's around the time when the whole, uh, you mentioned registration and making sure that these guys had, uh, you know, legitimate birth certificates and all the documentation was in order to, was that about when they started to kind of crunch yeah. down on that a little bit more. I mean, you guys were cleaning it up, as you said, as Sandy was trying to make it to where. Uh, it, you know. Absolutely. 100%. Because before MLB put the office down there, before MLB brought our scouts down there, uh, there was no direction. I mean, the Buscones, the clubs, they, they, they could do anything they want. There was, there was little to no direction. Yeah. When we started running these events, Nick, the cross-checkers from the states would come over, so now they're seeing players, and now they have a better idea of where the money's going. And, again, it wasn't just the Buscones that didn't like us. A lot of those you know, Latin scouts didn't like us either because now we're exposing players for really what they are. And they were just, you know, uh, academy-trained, you know, 14, 15, 16-year-olds that had not played the game Nick, you you know all about when we say, does he have the instincts? Does he have a feel? Does he understand the game? The Latin kids don't because they right. don't play enough games. And yeah, that was that was huge. We exposed that part of it, and that's why now more and more yeah. uh, of the players are playing games to show that they can do that. Yeah, I was explaining that. I um, wrote a couple articles on the differences, and I was explaining to that to a, a couple of friends of mine in scouting. And I said, it's it's like if I went to you and said, you know, here's the hammer, here's the drill, here's the nails, and everything. Go build a house. It's right. like you still can't build right. a house. You don't. <laughs> I, I don't know how to frame that's it. I don't know what the blueprint looks it. like. And that's it. That's kind of the same comparison with these the players down there is that they have all the tools. They just yep. they don't know how to put them to use. They don't have the skill set yet to uh, think about what happens in a game situation with runners on first and third or whatever because they just didn't get the amount of game time necessary at, you know, by that age. So, exactly. And I learned exactly. a lot of that from I learned a lot of that from you actually, and and being down at the scout school and and watching those guys in the Dominican. I remember uh, specifically you pointing that out to us uh, on our talk on the bus and about how these guys are just um, you know that's their only. Uh, if you, you know, it's the only thing they're kind of missing is, is, you know, American kids grow up from T-ball till they're 16 with so many games under their belt that it's just, it's ingrained in them. Um, yeah, that's good stuff. Well, that's why so many of them, obviously, you know, when it, once they're signed at 16, 17 years old, they have to spend three or four years in the, the Dominican summer league, uh, to, to start to work on those parts of the game that they haven't been exposed to. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's a real big part of it. And, you know, you mentioned the scout school in the Dominican. And let me just say this, you know, in terms of how the Bureau was, re- you know, received when we went down there in 2010, we had started running scout schools in Latin America in, t- in 2001. So we actually had built up a very solid foundation of guys that we've trained down there that were supportive of what we were doing. So it was a lot of the, the old timers that gave us a hard time that didn't know us and didn't understand what we were all about and mm-hmm. how we were really trying to help them. But uh, the scout schools that we ran in Latin America were very instrumental to so many guys uh, learning the game better and actually getting better opportunities within their clubs to become cross checkers or international directors. Yeah. One of the things I found interesting being in that class uh, 2010 and only having would we have maybe five or six American scouts mm-hmm. and the rest were from from Latin America was, you know, talking to some of the classmates there. And one of the guys that was with the Giants and he had been with him for 17 years or something in, in Colombia. Right. And I just remember thinking, why are you coming to scout school? This seems kind of, <laughs> you know, a waste right. of your time. And but, you know, I remember him saying, I'm learning. I'm learning a ton yeah. of new stuff because, yeah. you know, obviously he hadn't been trained, um, right. you know, I, I don't want to say properly, but, you know, obviously he, he mm-hmm. was thrown into the fire probably because he was a former player and knew that he could right. identify some talent, but he was learning, you know, the things that you guys were teaching 
um, for the first time after having 17 years of experience, which I thought was great. That is you know, that, that, that story you just told is very, very, was very, very common among all of the Latin scouts that we dealt with. Many of them had been scouting for 10, 15, sometimes 20 years. But what we started teaching them, and as you know, is, is you know, looking at the game and, and, and trying to analyze the, the players a little differently. I mean, they would see a player and they'd say, oh, he can play and he can do this, he's got this arm. But they didn't understand what, you know, what do you mean average arm? What do you mean above average runner, above average this? We taught them the scale. We taught them, you know, how to, how to formulate thoughts, you know, under a report, which Latin scouts, they never wrote reports. I'll never forget our first sure. years doing scout school in Latin America, Nick. You know, we're trying to have these guys write reports. Many of them struggled because they, they were, I don't, I'm not trying to be cruel, but many of them were illiterate to the point they couldn't write. But they right. could talk the game. They could break a player. They could do all that. But if the office wanted something written, they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it, well, yeah. We were, even in a you know 10-day period, which wasn't a lot, we tried to break it down and show them how to do it. And, and with follow-up and with their club's help, a lot of these guys, they just learn so much um, mm-hmm. from those opportunities. And, you know, we did a lot of scout schools in, in the U.S. I, I'm, I've said this many times. I always had more enjoyment running the ones in Latin America uh, because of the, the individuals and how much they embraced what we were doing. It was always the most enjoyable time we had. Yeah, I would imagine kind of like a, uh, the teacher that gets in front of the class that wants to learn versus the ones that are just going through because they signed up. Absolutely. For the class. That's right. <laughs> they need you to get, get the credit right to graduate. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. great, man. Good stuff. This is really good stuff. So if you had to throw, um, well, let me ask you this one first. On the same topic here, how's how have you seen the business part of the industry change in the last let's just say 10 years. I mean, I know you've seen a lot of, a lot of changes uh, in your entire career over 30 plus years, but um, you know, your last 10 years in the Bureau and even right now today, as you are, and we're about to talk about what you're doing nowadays, but what have you seen? Is there anything specific or is it just kind of a, you know, an evolution that's um, how do you, how do you look at it? Oh, all right. Well, you, you bring up a a great, um, a great topic and I wish we had, you know, days to talk about it because it's sure. hard to put it in a few minutes, but the That's game right. Take your did time. change. Well, the mm-hmm. game changed so much in many different ways. For example, in the scouting element of it, it used to be as an area scout, you know, in the U S you had a territory and you needed to beat the bushes to find the players. You needed to go to the high school. You needed to go to the Legion games, the Dixie games, the Babe Ruth you needed to go there to find but You needed to hold a tryout to try to find a gem that nobody else knew about. The game started changing um, quite considerably in the 90s in terms of scouting when the development of showcases came up. Team One was the first one, a guy named Jeff Selman. He, 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 had a, he had a vision, and he said, you know what, I'm going to bring all the best players to one spot, and I'll get the scouts to come. I'll get the college coaches to come, and the mm-hmm. players will come. And mm-hmm. that's where we are today. I mean, club mm-hmm. scouts don't really truly beat the bushes like they used to. Uh, they don't have to, because right? No, they don't. With travel ball and showcases, everybody knows about these guys. Uh, you know, I was talking with someone yesterday here in Idaho, which Idaho had, until recently, one of the strongest American Legion programs in the country. Every school had three teams of American Legion ball for the summer, and they were strong. They're starting to die off. Why? Because these kids are now joining travel ball teams. Right. Guys are coming in saying, you know what, don't play Legion ball. Come play with me. I'll take you to five or six tournaments around the country against good competition. I'll make you better. Mm-hmm. So the scouting change started changing in that way. Well, now the way the game has changed, and that's a big part of what I'm doing today, is the analytics have changed the game. You know, yeah. we don't always – we don't necessarily look now just to batting average – uh, RBIs, home runs, wins, losses, ERA, those are still the basic things. But when it comes down to breaking down players, uh, you know, maybe a minor league trade, a big league trade, a big league free agent, there is just a, a, a wealth of information out there in terms of, of different statistics that really define the player, mm-hmm. who he is or who he isn't, much deeper. 
You know, we used we used. I remember when I was with the Angels, we were looking for six-year minor league free agents, Nick, uh, mm-hmm. in in November, December, trying to decide who we might want to sign. It's a six-year free. Agent. We we went to batting average, uh, uh, home runs, RBIs, pitchers, wins, losses, ERA, stays. That's that's what we were using to that's decide it. who did we want to sign. Yeah. Well, you know now. I mean, my goodness, the breakdown is crazy. You can get so deep, you know, with first pitch strikes, first, you know, oh, yeah. uh, how many strikes, you know, all the different things out there. Yeah, spray where, charts, hard contact, all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it, it's launch angle, exit velocity. We can go on and on, good, bad, or otherwise. That's for another topic. But yeah. what I see the successful clubs doing is a marriage of both old time scouting. You know, we have good scouts, you have the good people to lean on, and you have your analytics, and you work together. Because mm-hmm. with that, that's all data that helps make you a more informed decision. Nick, mm-hmm. I'm going to be honest with you. There are a lot of clubs out there today that, that there are people within their scouting and minor leagues, even the major leagues, they're not buying into the analytics stuff. They're not right. buying into, well, he throws first pitch strikes, you know, 82% of the time uh, against right-hand hitters or this or that or whatever. And okay. those are things that can help you as a hitter or help mm-hmm. you as a pitcher. Mm-hmm. There are clubs that don't buy into that. And then there are those, you know, it could be St. Louis, it could be Houston, you know, Toronto, Cleveland. They're putting them together and saying, guys, we're going to do it this way. And we're it starts it with the ownership to the GM, to, to the manager, to his coaching staff, to your player development people and your scouting. If you're not on that same page, you're going to have problems. Yeah. And I'm not going to tell you who because it's not fair, but there are some organizations out there, Nick, yeah. that don't work together. They're still yeah. fighting one versus the other, and yeah. they're struggling. You know? and, would you, and would you say there's even some organizations to add to that that are focusing strictly or you know, more in-depth on the analytics and not so much of, of what the old school yeah. guys used to think about? And in, in my, an example would be, uh, let's pull the area guy out of there at $45,000 a year and give me two interns at $14,000 a year to go shoot video and give us the metrics and we'll take it from there. You, you just hit it on the nose. And that's exactly what some organizations are doing. Now, time will tell if that's a good or bad thing to do. But I know specifically there are a couple of clubs out there that have the interns sit in a room throughout the winter, throughout the summer, whatever, and they're looking at nothing but stats on amateurs, colleges, high schools, and boy, can you get fooled on the high school stuff. But college stats, you know, they're a little bit better. And these interns will develop the follow list for the area scout that is still being employed by the club, and that scout is told, here are the guys you're going to go see. Well, wait, I want to go over here because I'm here. Nope, you're going to go see these yeah. guys because this is what's been developed in-house. This is what and came out of the computer. <laughs> exactly. You know, I just I know we're going to get into it, but I just did a presentation at, at the company I'm working for uh, called Baseball, a scout mm-hmm. perspective. And um, I, I added a thing about old school scouting, new school scouting, and then the best school scouting. And so it's funny that you bring up because that's exactly what I was trying to yeah. to inform and teach, instruct these guys that are working for this company I'm with, LBI, because they yeah, are all well, LBI. They're they're amazing, Nick. Um, okay. LBI got into the game 20 years ago when they developed for Major League Baseball, the Commissioner's Office. They developed EBIS, and EBIS is the central communication system for everything that happens in baseball um, from, from well, it used to be scouting because we were there, but minor league, major leagues, transactions, contracts, uh, statistics, they, the LBI developed it. They built yeah. it. They, they improved it. So every club uses LBI for uh, a, right. a, a variation of contracts, transactions, and things like that. Okay, that, that's where they started. They also, LBI Dynasty, we have the NBA. We created the same type of system for the NBA, the WNBA, and the G League. So every basketball club knows about LBI because they use our system every day in transactions, contracts, uh, statistical information, 
anything data that, that is driven through the central commissioner's office for both the NBA and MLB is done by LBI. And then with that, we have 20% of the major league clubs that we've written complete systems for, starting with scouts on up through the major league stuff. And it's a, if think of it as a one-stop shop, Nick. You mm-hmm. can open up your laptop if you're the GM, and you can see everything about your organization, about the other 30 organizations, because you've got all the contracts, you've got transactions, and you have scouting reports, amateur scouting, pro scouting, international scouting, video, statistical analysis, um, uh, the analytics, whatever you want, we've built for six of the clubs out there, and these things are amazing, what they can do. It, wow. it's, it's phenomenal. It's, uh, I knew that it existed, Nick, but mm-hmm. not until I started working with these guys did I have an idea what is out there. Mm-hmm. And we've come to know that you know, a lot of organizations, most uh, have, have hired developers to kind of build their own. And that's okay. That's great. That's the direction they wanted to go. But the thing is, LBI built the central system. We built six of these. We have a better understanding of, I don't say better because you never know. We have a very, very good understanding of what organizations want and how to get it and how to access it and how to make uh, their system the best it can be for their scouts for their minor league staff, their coaches, because they have to do game reports every day on there, uh, mm-hmm. their, their cross-checkers, uh, their major league staff, the, the trainers, uh, and people in the office. And um, uh, these things are, are uh, really vital to the organizations mm-hmm. to gather data and to, to utilize it quickly and to help make better decisions. Wow. That is so cool. And and so what what is your uh, specific role with LBI now? What and again, here's the thing. Yeah, you know, I was I've been up in Idaho now Nick, for you know four years plus, uh-huh. enjoying life. And they came knocking on my door saying, "Look, we 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 know who you are. I I, I worked with those guys for twenty plus years. Sure. Uh, you know they built our scouting systems. I knew all about EBIS and all. I've known these guys. They know me." And they were looking for someone that could help them from the the the, the personal standpoint of, of baseball and people. These guys are brilliant developers. I mean, Nick, I I will never be one tenth as smart as these guys. Whether it's the owners to yeah. the uh, you know the, the developer heads to the guys that do the work, they're brilliant. But what I bring to them is I know clubs, I know personnel, I know scouting systems. I, I have an idea of what they're looking for and how they should work. Um, mm-hmm. And so they, they brought me on board as, uh, I think it's product manager for scouting systems. And, and so I'm trying to help them understand better how a system can work. Uh, for example, my talk with them on, on baseball, a scout's perspective, they wanted to know, well, how does a scout work? They, see, they've never been told, but yet they've been told to develop this system Sure. Of you know, adding players, finding schools, writing reports, updating reports, adding video. Well, but they didn't understand what a scout has to do. I and see. So you know what what they do is real simple and easy, but what a scout does and the time that it takes. So I'm trying to give them a new perspective on it. And I see. And it's been fun uh, working with these guys again, talking to the clubs. Uh, getting back to communicating with people like Anthopolis and Nick Crawl, who was just appointed GM of the Reds. I sat with him at a spring training game uh, before he got promoted, and I was just, you know, just talking baseball with Nick. And I knew the Reds have their own system; it's a new system. But I was saying, Nick, if if you know if you ever run into something, you need some help, tell your people to call us. We're here. You know, we're a resource. And so <laughs> I'm just, for me, it's just kind of networking and yeah. using yeah. what I know and. And we're we're branching out into uh, the NBA teams. Um, we're trying to uh, we're trying to hook on with as many of them as possible. We've got some really strong leads with both the Clippers and the Lakers at the moment, and we're hoping that 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 comes uh, uh, to to an agreement where we're now building systems uh, in the NBA and and there are other sports. We're I'm talking with the NHL people that I know, the NFL. We're just trying to show them what's out there, what's available. And LBI mm-hmm. Dynasty is a company that pretty much 
is the, it built the standard for, you know, two major sports, NBA mm-hmm. and MLB. That's and crazy. so, you know, so yeah. the clubs that are looking for that direction, that's what we try to provide. That's great, man. Good for you, man. So, you know, they, they just, they knew who you were and they uh, yeah. found, found yeah. out you were kind of just uh, hanging out in Idaho and thought maybe we could, they could get you, <laughs> get you involved. I love it. So that's a couple of quick questions. And then I'll let you go, Frank. I appreciate all your time, man. This is just sure, fantastic. Sure. Um, so for the listeners out there, you know, this is uh, Love the Game, Live the Dream. And I gave you a little description about our audience and, and people out there that are, are going to be listening to this. Um, I mean, could you give a little bit of advice on how a young guy starting out? I know it's been a long time, um, you know, since you mm-hmm. you know got your yep. foot in the door. But what would you what would you, what, a, what a little piece of advice would you give a guy on moving up the ladder? You know, on a, on say a, a kid coming out of school or maybe a former right. player that only reached the college right. level. I mean, everybody thinks that you got to be a major leaguer and you know have all these connections. And uh, you know, I've been living proof that you right. don't have to be that guy. You're living proof that you don't have to be that guy. So, what what can you give to to the young guys starting out? Well, a couple of things. First of all, it's it's young guys and young women, because you know, sure. one of the things I tried to do, Nick, was uh, you know understand that that whether you're male or female within the industry of baseball, there's a role for you somewhere. And I and I had hired the first female videographer that the bureau ever had, and she's still employed, actually working. The the bureau's gone, Nick. They they just yeah. that was the direction. But the video is still there, and this young lady, she is still working for them. Robin Wallace, uh, a female scout that uh, I hired, is still involved with Major Baseball doing some things now on the development side. Um, there are plenty of women that are more than capable of doing that that role. Um, but in terms of you know the the foot in the door and the and the start. And it applies whether you're male or female. Um, things that I learned from the beginning, I think, are still important. Number one, treat people with respect. Um, you know, someone in the game today, his or her time is very valuable. So if, if you have an opportunity to talk with them, um, know what it is that you want to talk about. You know, if it's if it's trying to tell them who you are, then you know, be short and and to the point. But but understand they're very busy. Uh, mm-hmm. But be respectful. You maybe you bump into them at the winter meetings. You've got your resume. You want to talk to them. Um, treat these individuals, whether they're young or older, uh, with respect, because someday that person's going to be in a role that maybe maybe they can help you even more than you know. For example, uh, several years ago, Nick Crawl, who I mentioned, who's now the GM with the Reds. He approached me in Anaheim at the winter meetings and said, Mr. Marcos, can I have some of your time? I, I just, I want to pick your brain. I said, Nick, let's sit down. And I don't know if it was an hour or two hours. It just flew by. And I tried to help him as much as I could. He still talks about that time that I spent with him. To, to me, it was fun. But to mm-hmm. him, it meant the world. And, you know, for the young people, reach out to some experienced people with clubs write to them. It's hard sometimes to call them and get them, but, you know, write to them and, and, and just just try to make a connection. And when you do, keep that connection alive because you never know when that person's going to be in a position of, of power where they can make decisions on hiring and doing things like that. Know the game inside and out. Um, yeah. You don't have to play it at the big league level, as you said, to be a star. You can, you, you can love the game. You can enjoy it. But understand it. Know all about the game. Know about the players. Know about the process. You know, scouting and minor leagues and the major leagues. That's very, very important. And, of course, today, Nick, the thing that's really setting people aside uh, from others is, you know, a background in analytics. I mean, I, I 20 years ago, I never would have said that. 15 years ago, I never would have said that. Uh, today, yeah. students that come out of college with a background or the degree in some form of sports management or analytics, they are the ones that are getting the jobs. And it's it's just a fact of life. That's what's happening. Um, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but what I'm saying is that's now something that these young individuals need to have to, to set themselves apart from someone that has maybe just a, you know, a, a business degree, if you will. Um, right. so, those, so there are things that they can do in terms of how they study, uh, their, their internships, 
And and that's one thing, Nick. Don't be afraid to go out there and take a job for five bucks an hour because you mm-hmm. never know where it's going to lead. You know, when I did that for five bucks an hour, I, I was crazy. I know I was crazy, but I would have done it for nothing uh, because it was an opportunity to learn the game. And sometimes, you know, you just need that foot in the door. And once you're there, work hard, treat people with respect, and um, and, and good things can come about. That's great advice. That's good stuff. Very good stuff. And I, I, I have to just real quick before I let you go, I was speaking with uh, our friend Rick Oliver uh, mm-hmm. last week. And uh, of course, we were just talking about life. And he was uh, sort of in a situation like you were not too long ago, you know, out of baseball, but looking to get back in and thinking of retirement. And and we kind of caught up and, uh, you know, we had a chance to work together uh, when I was with the Bureau there uh on the international side. And we talked about uh, scout school and how, you know, I said to him, what a great experience it was for me. And more importantly, how, um, how well you treated me and, and how, you know, here I was uh, trying to get my foot in the door and I I was helping out with Oakland as an associate scout. And, um, you know, was down there in the Dominican and, and uh, remember our meeting sitting outside Mm -hmm. the lobby. I'll never forget it, Frank. You were, uh, I told you, you know, look, I'm, I'm, I'm on the hook for this uh, as far as uh, the payment for the school and this and that. And, and you just looked at me and said, you know, you do what you can and we'll, we'll help right. you out as, as much as we That's can right. and, and don't worry about it, you know, get in there and study and, and uh, learn the material and, and do well. And I tell you, you know, it, it just, uh, it touched me and it made me feel like, you know, there are good people everywhere in the world, as we know, but it was my first experience with anyone uh, at yeah. your level of the game and, you know, being where you were as the director of the, of the scouting bureau. And uh, I tell you, it, just that feeling and just that the way that you respected me and treated me like a person instead of just <laughs> some rookie trying to figure it all out. It, it, it changed my uh, it changed my life. And uh, I wouldn't be sitting here today talking to you, interviewing you, um, you know, 10 years later, almost or eight years later. Mm-hmm if it weren't for that. So I, for, for that, I really thank you, Frank. And I really appreciate your time and uh, your insight on the game. You, you know, definitely w- one of the most knowledgeable guys that I, I've had the pleasure of meeting with. And uh, I just wanted to say that I really appreciate it. And I thank you. Well, I appreciate your saying that Nick. And, and I remember that, that uh, beginning relationship we had back then. And, and those were good times And I always, as I said, I always tried to, you know, treat, everyone with respect no matter what level you were whether it was nick holmes or whether it was sandy alderson you know and Mm -hmm. um one of the biggest regrets i have was i wasn't personally able to hire you i tried but my (laughs) boss is in new york they wouldn't let me do it but i'm glad you're able to at least get some time in and do that and and it's neat to see what you're doing here and um and uh where you've ended up there in in vancouver and and, yeah. Uh, hopefully, our paths will cross somewhere soon. That would be yes, abs- absolutely. And 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 just want to again add to that. Yeah, I ended up, to, you know, getting hired by the bureau thanks to you because yeah. of your recommendation. And and uh, I'd like to add to what you said to the advice to the young guys. And you said it was treat everybody with respect and keep in touch because you and I, you yeah. know, there 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 were times where I didn't talk to you for a while, but I'd hit you on WhatsApp or I'd shoot you an email, and you were always yeah. responsive. And even if it was just, hey, how's it going? And and so, you know, you, you, uh, you know, guys and girls out there that are getting started in this, this it's, it's no magic theory here. It's just, you know, no magic right. formula. We just, it's just building relationships, being nice to people. Uh, don't be afraid to stick your hand out and shake somebody's and look them in the eye yep. and, and, and keep it going. So, uh, Frank, thanks That's again true. so much for your time, buddy. And uh, I would definitely be giving you a call here and want to hear okay. more about LBI. And uh, I've got a couple of things I yeah. want to talk to you uh, uh, off the air about what I'm doing okay. with the College Baseball Scouting Network, too, and get some of your input awesome. if I if I could uh, get some advice from you there. So, yeah, Nick, um, anytime. Anytime. Awesome. And, and I appreciate you taking the time to to chat with, with me and, and, and bring back some good memories as well. So For sure. Hey, real quick. Do you, is there anything you want to plug? Is any way uh, you, anything any projects you got going on? Any articles, websites, or uh, how can anyone get a hold of you? Unless you don't want them to get a hold of you, I totally understand no, if you're you know, up in the I mountains mean, there. <laughs> well, you know, here, here's the thing, and I've said this to many people. I'm always available, and you know, even on LinkedIn, I get a lot of messages, and I communicate back and forth with with individuals that say, you know, I, I want to get into game. Sure. So we'll exchange numbers and we talk and and I'm good with that. I have no problem with anybody 
picking up the phone and calling me or shooting me an email, um, you know, that's that's cool. So I don't awesome. know. Do you want me to you know, sure. tell you that now? or? Well, I tell you what, I'll put it in the notes here. I got your LinkedIn okay. profile and, and whatever you okay. want to put in uh, in my um, uh, yeah. my notes at the end of the show, I'll put it on. So it'll be on the website and people can, okay. can check you out there. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I enjoy helping, whether it's young kids trying to figure out where they want to go to school to play baseball or young people trying to get into into the pro game. It's yeah. my pleasure. So this has been fun, Nick. I've really enjoyed it. And I thank you for, uh, for giving me a chance to uh, chat with you. Absolutely. My pleasure, Frank. Hey, have a great day and we'll be talking to you soon. All right, man. Take care. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Love the Game, Live the Dream, brought to you by World Baseball Experience. If you haven't had a chance, check out the website. I encourage you to do so. That's www.worldbaseballexperience.com. Some good stuff over there. Check out the site. Pass it along to your friends and family and any other baseball enthusiasts that you come across. We appreciate your support. Of course, there's uh, Facebook, Twitter links, uh, YouTube channel, all that good stuff over there. Again, that's www.worldbaseballexperience.com. And I hope you have a fantastic rest of the day. Take care.